Fuck it, I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. And this is Pump Up the Minute. Today we are looking at minute 69. Today we are looking at minute 69 through 72 of Pump Up the Volume, in which very little actually happens, but it's a, still we're at a turning point in this, in the story. Starting with Nora, still in Mark's room. She just, uh, climbed over the couch to meet his parents. Let's see. Things happen in these minutes. It's just very moving the plot forward in terms of well right and it's basically two things happen in this minute in these minutes and that's it they're important things but it's not it's not a lot of things we've had a couple minutes recently that were very busy yeah a couple segments uh starting with nora finishing what she was saying i was afraid you would be mad at me for interrupting mark's homework and uh, brian says oh no 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 not at all it's fine and marla says you don't know how happy we are to meet you Brian says, yeah, really? And Nora says, well, listen, I gotta go, but it was really nice to have met you. And as she heads for the door, she turns back and says, bye, Mark. Marla tells her, you don't have to go, it's alright. Mark, she doesn't need, she doesn't have to go. Mark waves, which was nice. And, uh, Marla says, we'll leave you alone as Nora goes to the door and says, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. And then we get, uh, I don't know what you call this, but, uh, Brian's like, you've been a bad dog, haven't you, to Mark? Ew. Right? <laughs> The eel moment, I guess. And, but what's funny is the follow-up, because then we get a wider shot, and Marla grabs Brian's arm to pull him away. <laughs> like, she's not gonna let him linger and be weird. <laughs> Although she does encourage his weirdness. A little bit, yeah. Later, but it's okay. But, and, uh, he's like, you know, for a second there, we actually thought you were that, uh, crazy DJ character. And this is where I put in my notes, Mark's an idiot. Because right. Mark, Mark replies, maybe he's not that crazy, Dad. <laughs> Well, no, you said Mark. I was going to say, this is where I put in my notes that I think Brian's an idiot. Because these parents are not very imaginative. Like, he could be both. He could Mm -hmm. have had a girl in his room. Yes. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, it was just seconds ago that they'd been trying to get into his room for apparently... That's what'd be funny is, I mean, basically his next show is his last one. Yeah. But if they heard this show... And hear him go off the air at a certain moment and come back. They're like, oh, yeah, that's him. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically confirming it. In the script, he does say, oh, I need to tell you something, Dad. And the script is like, oh, and we think he's going to confess. But he doesn't. He just says maybe he's not that crazy. Uh Brian says, right, very funny. Now go get her. And he says, come on to Marla. And Marla actually looks back at Mark as he closes the door. So she's, I think she's been reading the script. Yes. <laughs> She's still a little suspicious. And as they're going up the stairs, which are weirdly unfinished wood, I don't know what this set was. I think this house was actually still under construction when they filmed in it. Yeah. I mean, don't the parents wonder why Mark wants to be in the basement anyway when they have an entire house and he's the only kid? We'll get to that. Well, I, no, I don't think he, I think I realized in this segment, actually, he yeah. doesn't sleep down there. I think he has a bedroom. We just never see it. That's weird. Yeah. Because this is set up for... It's set up for recording, and we'll, we'll, I got notes on that in a bit. Uh, but as they're going upstairs, Brian says, you know, that's my idea of homework. Again? Ew. <laughs> but Marla does say yeah. So. Ex- yeah. So we know what they were doing as teenagers. 
which we've already heard a little bit about. Uh, the Mark lifts up the poster with the, uh, if it's too loud, you're too old. And we see his, uh, we see, get a better look at his equipment, but his old and weird things, I don't know what they are. Pretty sure he's got his own power, uh, portable power unit in there. Cause it is the thing he sticks in the Jeep later. Uh, multimeter, which is basically just for measuring signals and some other thing. And somehow his microphone got in there. We never saw him put it in there. But he grabs it from in the box. He goes to the desk, tosses the clothes out of the way, flips the switches to turn things on, and says, sorry about that, folks. Technical difficulties. As he's still moving things around, he moves the keyboard. And he actually sets up for his show when he's not in the shot, which is interesting. Because he is doing things. And right when he's back on here, we're finished with that little brief glimpse of Mark that we have, or that we had in the last segment, because he's definitely hard hairy. He's hairy now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately. But we get a shot of the fans on the back of the truck, Joey, Maz, not Donald or Donald, I still can't tell, and some other guy who we haven't seen before. And Mark says that sort of thing happens all the time in the professional radio. We get a shot to another fan we've seen before, but I don't remember if he's got a name sitting alone in his bedroom. And Mark sits down, and I notice here he does have CDs as well as tapes. We haven't seen any of the stacks of them, but there are some, which is in 1990s. Relatively new. And he says, let's see who do we have out there tonight, huh? The usual band of teenage malcontents. I certainly hope so, because Hard Harry's feeling kind of rude tonight. And he flips a switch out of frame, and the reel-to-reel starts... And plays fart noises, which in the script at some point he had recorded that, but we didn't, yeah. we never saw that part. Uh, Mark laughs, he's having a, he's having a great time here. And as he turns to, I assume, get up and go grab the mic stand, cause he has it in the next shot, we cut back to the parents. Up, they're now upstairs, and Brian says, and she's so pretty too. As Marla says, she really is. Meanwhile, Harry over there, radio still, it says, it's a weird line, cause if the, if I heard the last word right, it's really yeah. strange. He says, yeah, a little love gas for all my suburban, and I'm pretty sure he calls his fans puppets. Well, he just thinks he's pulling their strings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the thing you want to say on the episode when you know police are listening and are trying and have just charged you with a crime. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird anyway. Like, what do you think is – he just had Nora in his room. He just had that moment of honesty and clarity. Mm-hmm. So why – like, what is his – motivation with this show like why does he go right back into being i guess just kind of crude hard hairy like what is well he does slip into like political hard hairy in a moment but yeah i I don't know like his first impulse is to be the crude version and i can see him getting the energy for what's about to happen where he takes off his shirt and everything comes from like nora having been there and so he's like energized but yeah it, the transition is a little weird because he immediately switches from being like the honest Mark on the radio to something else. And meanwhile, Brian calls him. He says, that little lech. And Marla says, well, like father, like son. And she turns the radio off. Yeah, that's where we get with their whole exchange about Nora. Just that sexist kind of toxic. That's my boy rhetoric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if that was his daughter. I highly doubt the parents would be up there having a conversation like, yeah, she's down there getting it. Go get it. Go get your dick. Go get them. <laughs> and I don't know how conversations around that went in your house. Cause I feel like my house, we didn't have those conversations. Yeah. I was going to say, it seems like in years, you wouldn't even have those conversations at all. But 
I grew up in the very, like, sexist, toxic kind of trope like this, where if I did anything, it was horrible, and my parents were, like, super monitoring me, but the fact that my brother had, like, a lot of girlfriends in high school, my dad would be like, yeah, pat him on the back, like, you're awesome, go, yeah. (laughs) And even make kind of gross comments, like, that my brother could get really hot girls, and, like, that was, Mm. and I'm like, dude, these are high school girls, and you're 40, but that's another, (laughs) that's another thing, but I I don't think that rhetoric was, like, that uncommon. Oh, To be, like, celebrating your boys, and then... And it's almost always the rhetoric you get in movies. Yes. To echo that, or real-life echoing movies, or both. Mm. Yeah. Before we get away from the parents, I have less exciting social commentary. Apparently, the father's really into sailboats. I think I mentioned the sailboats in his office before, but he had models and pictures in his office. There's a picture in the hallway we've seen, and there's also a picture in the living room by the radio. So they like sailboats, and there's more of those little wooden people by the door. Yeah. And the sailboats, I don't know, it's kind of weird, because they didn't really live places where sailing would have been. No, I mean, we don't know where they lived in New York. I doubt it was, like, Long Island or something. They don't seem that rich. Uh So Marla turns off the radio, and we cut back to Mark. And he says, oh, I feel good. Damn. And he takes his shirt off, tosses it on the floor. So he's going he's gonna to do tonight's show without a shirt. Yeah. Interesting. Mark has trouble talking to girls and he has trouble with physical things. Well, he can't which, be hairy with his own clothes because every other time he's been hairy, yeah. he's had that bowling shirt Well, that's on. what I'm saying. It's like for him, sexuality, what he gets off on is doing this. Mm-hmm. And then he says, well, 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 the big news, the emergency PTA meeting to discuss yours truly. Yes, all the professionals have come out to talk about little old me. And now they've all run home to tune in and listen to what they've all been talking about. We get a shot of Emerson, already home, got herself a glass of wine and a wine bottle on the table. She doesn't seem to be grading papers this time. She's paying attention. And it's at this point in the script, although not in the film, that Mark turns on NWA's Gangsta Gangsta. And... And the script says, or any militant and provocative song. And he sings along, but specifically in the script, it says that he bleeps the swear words, which I thought was weird. Mark himself bleeps the swear words yes. in his own singing? Essentially, the <laughs> song is on, it, it, the way it's scripted, it's like the song lyrics are in there. And so since I was a youth, I smoked weed. Now I'm the, and it says, Mark, bleep. Like he's saying bleep really loud over the swear words. I'm not sure Maybe because he wants the adults to think that's how his show is. I don't know. Yeah. And keep, it keeps going through, through some early lines in the thing. And I'm like, did he also bleep the, like, racial epithets or do you sing along with those? I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting choice of song in the moment. But he doesn't play in the film, so. Yeah. The song was the second single from NWA's 1988 album, Straight Out of Compton. It only hit number 11 on the U.S. rap chart and not the main Billboard Top 40 at all, but I feel like everybody knows this song mm-hmm. <laughs> in spite of that. Ice Cube delivered the first three verses, and then Easy e did the last one. Um, all of the NWA members showed up on the track. Um, right around this time, 1988, is when the gangster rap subgenre was becoming very popular and it was especially becoming popular with white suburban kids like Mark and we have like the commodification of 
rap music with just, again, white suburban males in general. Adam Ragusa writes in his article that he posted on Medium, why do privileged white people like gangster rap? And he says that when he listened to it, I was watching something from my own country, and yet it looked like something from another planet, a world totally unrecognizable from my own. The streetscape, the clothes, the dice games, the guns, the 40s, the vintage George Clinton samples, the whining analog synth melodies that were just enough out of tune with the other tracks to sound dangerous. It was frightening, confusing, and exhilarating. And he says that even today, um, well, today being 2016, so a few years ago, um, when he published this, that he still listens to Straight Outta Compton at least once a year or so, but not without a degree of internal conflict. (laughs) He says, to my adolescent self, it was ghetto porn, or more accurately, a kind of armchair ghetto tourism, a way of experiencing the thrill of otherness without actually having to be anywhere other than my comfortable suburban home with my comfortable family and friends who were basically all like me. And then he says, more gravely, as a consumer, I was at the base of a commercial pyramid that was commodifying and exploiting an image of young black men that stoked white paranoia at a time when politicians were ratcheting up the drug war and the prison industrial complex. And then finally, what I want to cite from this article, he says, the music can hardly be blamed for the toxic way in which white people reacted to it. (laughs) Um, That image, as represented by NWA, did glorify violence, misogyny, and so dealt in homophobia. But yeah, says as basically just talking about how young white men like bought into gangster rap as a way, I don't know, again, like to feel like they were dangerous or to feel yeah. like, I don't know, you were 12 e- and even, even, I didn't listen to it much be- yeah. <laughs> because I had older sisters and there was a whole different style of music yeah. playing in the house that I was into. But I know I had friends, even in the tiny little private school I went to, who were listening to rap and would make a point of like being kind of like Eric and Doug were a couple seconds ago where they're like rapping in the hall at school. They want you to know they listened to it. Yeah, I know in 1990, the year of this film, we would pass around a lot of like rap tapes. Hmm in my in the private catholic school i went to and i even got in trouble for cutting class because i was listening to two shorts tape in the library and then unfound it. <laughs> so. what's interesting as we bring up nwa today is that ice cube is in the news in 2020 for some recent tweets that people took as being support or an endorsement of president trump i think his tweets were in well, there weren't even his tweets that started it. Yeah. <laughs> there was someone like congratulating him for being involved. But really that's all he was is they came to him and so he showed them stuff he had, things that could be done for black Americans. And he's like, his, his thing after the fact when everyone thought that meant he was a Trumper is, yeah. well, no, uh, helping out black people is bipartisan and anyone who wants to look at his ideas can come to him. I'm like, that. that's cool if it's true. Although, in the meantime, Trump campaign people are using uh, Ice Cube's name. Yeah. In support of their platinum plan, which has problems. And it is controversial because anything other than a direct repudiation of Trump in these times is being viewed as an endorsement. Yeah, so. de facto support. 
And yeah, and if he likes their platinum plan, that is supportive. Right. So, yeah. And of course, for good reason, people have reason to doubt Trump's sincerity. His whole three <laughs> decades of race record don't well, really. Right. When you're <laughs> promised a black America, which is, I think, the full title for the platinum plan, includes reference to how you're going to charge members of Antifa with crimes. Yeah. I think you're doing something wrong. Yeah. When you put school choice in there, as if that doesn't favor white people that are rich, you're doing something wrong. <sighs> well, Ice Cube, to be fair, has also come under fire and been criticized in recent years for several anti-Semitic tweets. Mm. But he's not even in the movie, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Back to Mark. He says, they say that I am deluded, demented, deranged. Uh, he, he's opened a can of Diet Pepsi as he starts this rant. Well, guess what I say? And we cut to the fans in the truck. Joey, Maz, not Donald, the other guy, another girl, Janie, and Paige is nearby, although she doesn't say this along with everyone else. They all scream, so be it. I would point out by the timing of the next line that Mark does not actually say it. So they don't say it with him, which is the visual implication. Because Mark starts saying, um, I say rise up in the cafeteria, but in the script he also sp- says before that, I say death to all vice principals. Wow. <laughs> I say rise up in the cafeteria and stab them with your plastic forks. And we see Murdoch is listening. He should have said sporks. That was such a would be Yeah, that would have been funny. And Murdoch is listening, and we he's with Crestwood. We pan, the camera pans over to her. She's got a Shakespeare bust behind her, which, you know, classic school decoration. And as Mark says, I say flogging and flagellation for Mrs. Crestwood. Um, first of all, note, flogging, of course, is hitting someone with a whip or a stick. Flagellation implies that you are using a more specific implement made for that. Such as a cat of nine tails, or a chumbok, or a nout, or um, switches, or any other thing. But the thing is, as she sa- as he says, she gets a hundred lashes. She's drinking brandy, so she's drinking now. Yeah. <laughs> After that meeting, and clutching her pearls, which is a very specific video. Yeah. <laughs> literally clutching her pearls. Uh, she gets a hundred lashes for every single kid that she has hounded out of that fucking place. I say down with all the guidance counselors, and we cut to Deaver. Apparently in his office. Make them work for a living. Um, Deaver, by the way, his office up at the top says motivation and goals. Yeah. And he's got posters. Uh, one is of Reagan and Gorbachev that says vision. Um, we'll see more in a second. Uh, he says, I can't stay away from this man. Oh, Mark says, better yet, make him take guidance counseling in the script. He says, I can't stay away from this man. I got to give him another call. Here I come, Deaver. I find the logic of this weird that the police are tapping the hotline. Yeah. Because he called Deaver at home before. And he already called Deaver. Why would he call him again? They should have been tapping like Crestwood's home or someone else's. So they think he's going to call someone. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so woman answers the hotline voice and says, Hotline, believe it or not, we care. Which is not the acronym. It's believe it or not, I care. Bionic. Bionic doesn't make sense. Mark says, Hi, believe it or not, this is Hard Harry, and I would like the pleasure of speaking to Mr. Deaver. And we cut to a soundboard, and I have to nitpick. It's a Singer Digital Communication Analyzer, which to trace a phone call, you don't need. Yeah, I was wondering about the reality of the tracing of calls and the hiding, like how much of this was real. There's a trope in movies and TV that it takes them 60 seconds to trace a call. Mm -hmm. That comes from when, literally, it took them time to figure out where the call was traced to because they had manual switchboards. Mm -hmm. So they had to contact the switchboard, see what the wire was connected to, and go from there. By the 80s... There were electronic switchboards. 
which meant if you were calling from a landline, your carrier knew where the call was coming from immediately. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't even know that. And so all the police need is a warrant to have that information, and mm. they just got to ask. They don't have a machine that's saying they're tracing the call backward <laughs> like they always have in movies. And they certainly don't have this, which is basically more appropriate for recording his voice and maybe trying to modulate it back to what he sounds like, I guess. I'm not sure. I couldn't figure out exactly what it does, but you don't need it to trace a call. And the hotline, the woman says, just a moment, I'll see if he's available. So this is in a room, there's a cop, there's Deaver, and this woman. And Mark says, I love it, they just put me on hold. I'm waiting for you, you can run, but you cannot hide, Mr. Deaver. We get a, the wide shot with them in the room, and we see more of uh, Deaver's office. He has a March on Washington poster that says, Civics. And he has a poster that says, Courage, and it's some general. And for the life of me, I could not remember who it was. And I didn't know how to search for a famous general by his outfit on Google. Yeah, I have no idea. Finding things like that out is... The, out, the outfit looked like Fidel Castro, and I'm like, yeah. that's not Fidel Castro. I could see the face. It's not him. At one point, I thought it was Pinochet, and I'm like, that's a weird thing to have on the wall. I looked it up. It wasn't him. So at this point, with Mark escalating, being more direct in his call-out, just the visual escalation of him tearing off his shirt, and mm-hmm. just is he pretty much sure at this point that he is going to get caught, so he's just well, He's been charged with a crime, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At this point, he either needs to not go on the air at all, or not care. Yes. And he's decided to care. Although, it's hard to say why. Yeah. It seems like it would come better after the next conversation he has with Nora. Yeah. But he's he was energized by her just being there. Which is weird, because he never was before. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, anyway. And in the script, the last time she came to his room, she didn't have pants on, so... Who knows? <laughs> he's a weird kid. Yeah. Uh, and, but Mark has a good line here, because Deaver says, Hello, my young friend. And Mark says, You're in on it, right, Mr. Deaver? So... Mark has figured out, like, they're specifically target. He knows what's going on. And Deaver says, it's all over, son. The phone call has been traced. And whoever you are, your history. I love his tone here because he is so sure that they caught this kid and nothing bad's going to happen. And so Mark hangs up. We cut to a police car driving through the suburban streets. The music gets all ominous. Mark tosses the phone onto the desk and sits back and says, well, so be it. And this is where I had more comments on his room. Because in the wide shot of the entire space, we can see that he has bongos, a tambourine. We already know he has at least one guitar. We can see it. He's got a keyboard. Two turntables next to each other, which... So he's a DJ? Right. <laughs> I'm like... Well, he already was a DJ because... So, yeah. we never see it happen, but I guess what his parents would think is he's putting out, like, hip-hop songs all the yeah, time. Just doing he's music. making rap music down here. Because that is how it's set up. Because unless he's doing that... This setup with the desk in like a slight curve with all the equipment lined up just screams pirate radio DJ yeah. station. <laughs> it is very obvious visually in front of that couch. But also, yeah, there is nowhere to sleep in this room. So I'm, I'm assuming he's got a bedroom we just never see upstairs. And he sits back in the chair, puts his head back, rotates a bit and says, hallelujah. We see the police car again. The second police car joins it. They got their lights on. Because the streets are so empty, either this neighborhood still wasn't lived in, in reality, or they weren't running the noise. They just turned on their lights and drove through an empty street in the middle of the night, added the sound later. We cut to Maz as he jumps out of the truck, freaking out, and says, don't just sit there, man, run. Uh, Joey starts to follow him, and I notice that Doug and Eric are there, which is interesting. 
and Maz grabs Joey and he bumps into him and flings him behind him for some reason. I don't know why. Maz is freaking out. And we cut to the police cars arriving at a house and they say something over the radio. I couldn't tell exactly what it is. It's not a police code. Uh, 424 and I think property check. And then we cut to Mark as he gets back on the mic and says, don't worry about me. I'm all right. See, I'll bet what's happening out there is that the police are busting some poor little old couple. And we cut to already, even though it's been seconds, the police are now talking to the old couple in that same yeah, driveway as some police officers are already looking around outside, which doesn't make any sense. If they think the thing's coming, they should be searching the house. Yeah. It happened way too fast. And one cop says, find anything. And Mark Stone says, uh, who have been unknowingly supplying me with my phone feed. And that's when the one cop says, there's a phone line coming into the shed here. And he points his flashlight at something. There's a shed by the side of the house. And that's where the segment ends. In case there's any confusion here, because you asked this, that means Mark has a cordless phone attached to their phone line at their shed and then just takes the receiver with it. So he has to charge it over at their shed occasionally. I guess since they're old, they never check their shed. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how that worked, and it seemed like Mark would have to be really close by because in my experience with cordless phones in the late 80s, even the early 90s, is you couldn't really take them that far. Sometimes I'd take mine from, like, one end of the apartment. We didn't even have a big house to the other, and it would already be, like, giving out and it wasn't that bad of a phone it was yeah. just a phone uh, they specify in the next segment that it's uh he could be anywhere within a thousand yards of here which i don't think which cordless phones were that good 10 football fields that's a very long way <laughs> and if they were that good people in the same neighborhood couldn't own the same cordless phones exactly which would be bad for business a thousand yards could be a hundred houses but the good thing is with any distance that's more than a few houses mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard for the cops to find yeah because if he doesn't use the phone anymore, they can't triangulate anything. And trying to get a warrant to search an entire neighborhood for a guy you've only charged with, I don't remember what the wording was, but helping, like, not talking someone out of killing themselves? There's not much of a charge there. So they don't have much grounds to get a warrant for a whole neighborhood. So he's doing okay. But that's all for this segment. It ends when they find the phone line. And we'll get to more of that next time. In the meantime, if you want to hear more from me, you can listen to Cock and Bull Movie Talk every Tuesday. I'm going through a bracket of my favorite films. Pump Up the Minute, or Pump Up the Volume, was on the list, but it didn't make the top set of the bracket that we're getting into more detail. And that's every Tuesday, and you can follow it on social media. And if you want to hear more music and social commentary, you can listen to Life as a Playlist, my podcast, and you can also follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going. Pick a name. Go on the air. Your life. Take charge of it. Do it. Try it. Try anything. Fill your guts up. Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to. But you decide. Just fill the air. Steal it. Keep the air alive. Follow this show at Pump Up the Minute on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or check lemmingdrops.com for links. Talk hard! Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Oh, everybody knows Everybody knows